One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanish, so let's be friends. We are an international conglomerate of expert panelists. Today we have, I'm afraid, somewhat boringly, still hosted by an Englishman, but we have an American on hand, as we often do. We're joined by a Viking this week and live from a windmill from a Dutchman, all broadcast live from, the, for the last time actually, from a shed in Spain with video production from Australia. One world, no borders in podcasting. So welcome to all our international listeners. Hola to listeners in Paraguay, uh, where we're currently eighth in their sports charts. And Svaiki to our Lithuanian listeners as well, where we're currently sitting in 31st. So before I start, uh, before we start, I'd like to address some fair criticism. We fluffed a little bit on the causes of porpoising in the last episode. Um, So apologies for that. Many of you correctly pointed out that it's not specifically a function of temperature that the cars were porpoising. And we've reviewed that as a team and the terminology was was much too loose. But I will sort of emphasise that it was a somewhat off-the-cuff conversation and not a uh, an explainer, not a set piece segment. So I think maybe I need to do better in separating between a segment like where we say, right, today we're explaining tyre squirt and we've planned and researched this as a topic, like we do when we do Jeff's history sessions or when Summers comes on to do tech time. So uh, when when we're doing just off-the-cuff chats, we're often debating and giving our own point of view, which has always been, I think, a strength of missed apex. And 
if there's several people disagreeing on something like there was with porpoising, by definition, somebody is going to be wrong. But it's always going to be a debate and a discussion rather than a one-way conversation. Uh, but we always accept feedback as well. Um, so if you think we're wrong, uh, feedback at mistapex.net. But yes, I, I agree. We, we probably did drop a little bit on that one. Um, but in general, I would say treat Mist Apex as, well, what we've always been. Slightly informed fans having a conversation and usually an argument. But we're lucky to have had the contacts and resources to become slightly better informed over the years. So for my part, I'll try to be better communicating whether we are, you know, what level of confidence we have. But I would say generally, if I'm saying it, it's a wild ass guess. And if Matt says it, he's at least read it somewhere. I don't read. Not since streaming got good. So treat us as a start point, And if you find something interesting, you can ask for us to, to dive deeper into it as a topic. Uh, or you can, you know, get into, uh, get into that and use that as a launch pad for your own learning. Another person emailed us a bit upset that we'd been a bit too loose in our definition of weight and mass when talking about understeer. And was upset that we'd not gone into enough depth on that topic. I think on that, I will say... There's no exam at the end of Missed Apex, so I do try to manage pace as well as just a pure info dump. If you want long, slow, and painful, listen to Tech Time with Summers and Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? I'm now tempted to calculate some role centers just to prove them that we do know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so that could be the next Tech Time segment, which I believe is coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, I've been talking to Summers about it. We have some things to say, some things to catch up on, and obviously a whole brand new testing season to look forward to. Absolutely. Uh, we're joined all the way from the Netherlands by journalism lecturer and professor. It is Jules Sagers. How's it going, Jules? Hi, Sperus. I'm, uh, I'm fine. Good evening, everyone uh, from the snowy part of, uh, of the Netherlands, um, a country with no less than two drivers on the grid this season, but only one of them finds himself in danger of ending up in no less than two lawsuits. Ah, so that will probably be our first subject today. Nick DeFries finding himself in hot water. And we're also joined uh, by a Viking, Sean of his Hercules and Samson long hair. It is the, the short-haired Christian Pedersen. Do you know how many listeners will be heartbroken? How many viewers will be lamenting that haircut, Christian? I'm, I'm fairly sure no one will... No one will not like this decision, <laughs> especially myself. All right, let's get on with the Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. Uh, well, let's kick off by uh, going to the Netherlands. Jules, exciting to have a second driver on the grid. Now, you're you're not a Max Verstappen fan, but how excited are you? For, for Nick de Vries and uh, you know how excited is how, how behind Nick is the Netherlands in general do you think uh, it's hard to say uh, the country has been so used to getting behind Max, uh, Max Verstappen uh, these last couple of years so it's it's almost impossible to get out of a shadow uh, that, that he throws <laughs> but I think when the season uh, when the season starts and uh, an AlphaTauri might might uh, come in good um, people get more excited, especially uh, when the when the the Belgian and the Dutch Grand Prix uh, get near. Okay, and so why has he been hitting the news headlines when he hasn't even turned a wheel yet for his new team? And it looks like he's in a bit of hot water. He is facing two 
lawsuits. I know there's there's a lot of complicated stuff around this, but uh, let's see if we you can kick us off. Like, what's the the main thrust of his issue? Um, Nick de Vries has had a, a very different uh, uh, ladder up to Formula One than than Max Verstappen. Uh, he uh, came uh, through all the ranks and. Uh, um, so, but he lacked the cash and yeah. he lacked uh, a famous father. So at a certain point in 2018, when he uh, wanted to enter uh, Formula 2 in a, in a, in a uh, competitive car, he needed a half a million euros, but he could only bring, come up with half of that. So a Dutch investor who is well known in the motorsport world and is known for trying to bring up drivers up to Formula 1. Okay. Um, for instance, his uh, one of the companies of this investor was behind Hito van der Garde uh, getting the caterer seat in right. 2013. So that investor, he came up with the other half of uh, of the money, um, and so Nick de Vries ended up in uh, in the Prima seat 2018. But uh, it was a loan, and it was a loan for 250,000 euros. And uh, the investor said, "Well, I'll, I'll I'll take care of you, get you that seat, but." It's going to be a five-year loan. It's going to have a 3% interest rate for five years. And you are going to give me half of your income that's generated out of Formula One uh, activities. And you have to remember by that time, Nick had already already been uh, with McLaren for eight years. He was their sim development driver. And in the years to come, uh, Nick would end up in a Mercedes reserve driver role. Mm. So... There was to be anticipated quite some Formula One income. So this doesn't actually sound like all that bad. I mean, I'm getting quite a positive vibe for the minute, Matt, which is there is a route. That's the first thing that's coming to me is there is a route for someone who doesn't have enough money to go forward and eventually get into a good seat in Formula One. So a lot of this feels like a good news story. Um, It was. And especially with another condition saying, okay, Nick, if you haven't landed that F1 seat after these five years, um, which was at at the end of 2022, uh, if you haven't landed a Formula One seat, then um, the the loan will be waived. In uh, in other words, you don't have to pay back to 250,000 euros and uh, our agreement is, uh, is done. So that's where mm. that's a part where a disagreement has uh, has come up now, because a Formula One seat can be interpreted in different ways, and that <laughs> then we come to to the point uh, of what is an F one seat, what is in the terminology of a reserve driver, a third driver, or a test driver, and um, mm. so the investor says, mm. wait a minute. You were a Mercedes reserve driver uh, last season in 2022. You did free practice for Mercedes, for Williams. You you drove the Grand Prix for Williams in at Monza and scored points. So that sounds to me like you had an F1 seat and this loan isn't waived. You have to pay me back the 250,000 euros. And as a, as a different condition, if Nick de Vries would have landed an F1 seat by 2022, the investor would have a right to Nick Nick's Formula One income in 2023. In other words, 50% of Nick DeVries' Alpha Tauri income this year would wow. go to that investor. And you can imagine 50% of that is a lot more than 250,000 euros that the initial loan was. Maybe it's just my New York background. 
But when you say helps drivers along, I think invests in them for loads of profit. And I know that ultimately this particular case is going to come down to exactly how certain things were defined in legal language and how a Dutch, I assume, court uh, interprets that language. So it's not really, although I know there's plenty of uh, patrons who would enjoy picking that apart from a legal point of view, there's not really much we can determine about it now. But I do wonder, like the terms of 50% of your salary, for how long, it seems like to me that this is an area where young drivers could really be taken advantage of, may have been taken advantage of, and I wondered, are we aware, does the FIA pay any attention to these sorts of contracts whatsoever at the level of F3 or F2? I think it's pretty normal. You have a, 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 a special deals with your sponsor. If you take someone like uh, Kevin Magnuson, he has a great had, had a great deal with uh, the guy who runs sort of like the Danish eBay back in the days. And then that uh, that corporation stopped somehow and he joined the partners with the bestseller, which is uh, behind Jack and Jones, for instance. And those guys gave him a certain amount of money he could uh, use for his career. And in return, they got the, the, the Jack and Jones uh, rear wing on the Haas, driver, uh, Haas car. And in different leagues, uh. they had something else on the car. So Still, while uh, when, when Kevin stopped in, in Formula One uh, the first time, uh, uh, he, he wrote a book. And in that book, he's, he's sort of like, I also feel like I owned those guys something. I'm not sure I paid it back in total uh, with what I did on track and stuff like that. So it doesn't have to be a, a bad relationship when you have loan deals like this always. But in this case, it sounds a little bit like someone was after the money more than the talent and the story and the journey. Yeah, I think in these situations, uh, during the years, during the time of, in this case, that loan, um, the the power balance shifts in 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 a way because at first, twenty eighteen, you're a, you're a Formula One uh, driver, Formula Two driver, and you do everything, you grab everything to grab that seat. Yeah. Now. And then five years later, he had teams to pick from. And um, all of a sudden, his income is, is like, assumably risen and, 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 and yeah. maybe in a tenfold of what he, what he once thought he would earn. So, and that's, that's um, where these investors, uh, it begins as a friendly thing. You know, I'll help you. And I'm, I'm a well-known guy in, uh, in bringing up yeah. of, uh, racing drivers. And, and that's where another a twist to the story occurs because it appears now that um, uh, the investor, um, his name is Jeroen Schotthorst, doesn't, easy, doesn't easy matter say. to me. Yeah. Easy, easy Dutch name. Yeah. Um, he says, well, Nick hasn't disclosed all of the information he was supposed to give us about his income, about his contracts that would include the exact role that he would have as a driver. So that's, that's why... Uh, the test driver or third driver or reserve driver label matters because the contract says test driver would be allowed. It wouldn't matter. They would still waive the loan, but it doesn't say anything about being a reserve driver. And that's where this investor is trying to pin him down. Like you were a reserve driver and that means you owe me 50% of your income this year. So Nick DeVries said, yeah, uh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to court, you know, 
I, I, I will give you back the 250,000 on top of what he already paid because 190,000 euros he already paid in, in interest. interest and Ooh. income. Yeah. But this guy said, yeah, I'm not going to go for that. I smell more money. You know, 50% of your, of your annual income at Alpha Tower is probably going to be more than, than a quarter million. Oh, does anyone so, know? Does anyone know what the, an Alpha Tauri driver gets these days? Is there a reported ballpark figure? Maybe someone in the, in the live chat will be able to, to dig up some, some rumor for us on, on what a driver will get. You might still argue that it feels kind of worth it. I mean, look, I mean, I, I should really talk to Christian about it because, you know, you, you and I, we're still the, the young dynamic ones. We might be in a position to climb the ladder. That it still feels like a good deal. Even if he has to give away half of his Alpha Tauri salary, he's not going to go hungry. He can probably get plenty of crisps for half an Alpha Tauri driver salary. And where would he have been had he not done it? So let's be realistic. Our, our children, would we advise them to take this deal? if he could do it again. If, if I might just comment on one thing Jules said earlier in regards to this, uh, there should be something, uh, there should be like a, this should be like a governing body thing. Uh, they should have a team uh, helping young drivers, mm. not financially, but uh, with contracts, with uh, advices on how you form your career because it's so easy to take advantage of uh, these 10, 12, 14-year-olds with dads that, have paid for their last 10 years on track and uh, with just a little bit of sweet talking and stuff like that and a little bit of gala you can come a long way and some just jump the first uh, or maybe only bandwagon uh, there is because there's so many who wants to race and there's so few seats yeah because how long are you in how you in how long are you in debt for you know because exactly. it's not only like a literal amount of money or or the length of a loan but someone helps you get up the ladder you know and in this case, his investor at, wanted to become his manager at the end of 2022, you know, when, when ah, Nick became hot property. And he plot, wanted to become his manager all the of a sudden. The plot thickens. And Nick yeah. DeVries said, thanks, but no thanks. I want out of everything. So now he's bitter, maybe. That's, well, that's yeah. what Nick DeVries' lawyer has told court. Like, this is some oh. kind of a vengeance uh, move. And uh, But... Well, uh, it could drag on well into the start of the season because in the beginning of next month, mm. the court will only decide on whether um, the investor gets to uh, see all the documents of Nick DeFries' contracts. And then only later on, the court will decide who's right about the contract and uh, and who gets what money. Okay, so, but this is not going to affect whether he drives for Alpha Tauri or his role within Alpha Tauri at all. It doesn't seem uh, like that at all. No, I can't imagine it would be. But like Christian said, I think it, it should raise uh, a concern and start a discussion about guiding young drivers because the FIA has made a, has made a kind of a deal about, you know, um, uh, the ladder up to Formula One. And, yeah. and it's, not, it's not a coincidence that we, we dropped the GP2, GP3 names and it's all F4, F3, F2, F1 and the best drivers should get, it, get the highest up the ladder. But on the other hand, you still see, and we've had that discussion uh, often, that pay drivers get, get really far and some like the better drivers don't just because of the money. Yeah. So I, I, I don't... On principle, though, have anything against that? Obviously, any kind of big money loan, and you get people involved in throwing around money. Sometimes people are going to be able to take advantage than that of that and be less than charitable 
and as Jules was saying, be in it just for the money. But in principle, that doesn't seem a terrible thing to have like an angel investor, but in young potential Formula One drivers. Let's fund six Academy drivers. If one of them makes it and ends up giving us the cut in this clause, then we make our money and and six drivers have had the chance to go as far as they can. That will that would increase the overall quality of, of F1 when you count the amount of billionaires we've had in Formula One that might not necessarily have got there on their own. That's something that weakens the sport from a sporting point of view. I think there is no top level sport that 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 is that is lower in the overall elite quality at the top level than Formula One. And as much as we love Formula One, we love the engineering side of it, the drivers are heroes, there is there is so much untapped potential in what the standard could be in Formula One in the very elite of drivers because of money. So I'm in favour of anything that would allow... I mean, he still had 250,000, so he, he wasn't exactly scrambling around poor. But anything that can help redress that balance and stop it becoming the battle of the billionaires is okay with me. And this has happened in football for a long time. And it happens in British politics. You know, you can invest in a young politician and then end up in a top broadcasting job. Yeah. Matt, you want to say something <laughs> according to that? I'm just going to go with, I was going to mention golf as another sport where this is pretty common. I, I think the issue is these drivers are young. You don't always know what kind of advice they are getting and it's it's really the predatory situations that you want yeah. to guard against. And I remember Adrian Newey years ago coming out and talking about, because what we're not talking about now is all the drivers who don't make that cut, but are equally as desperate. And what you don't want is one of them getting stuck, ruining their entire life, yeah. having borrowed to the hilt for a chance that was never going to work out for them. So I feel like some due diligence might be in order from the FIA, since, as um, Christian rightly points out, they have taken control of this entire ladder. On a final note, uh, top Google result for pay driver for the uh, salary for the Formula One drivers is uh, five million for Pierre Gasly, half a million for Yuki Tsunoda in AlphaTauri, which yeah. is dollars, and probably not correct since it's just a top Google search, but. It's somewhere in that ballpark, and I, w I, th I think Kevin Magnussen got one million a year dollars or euros, something like that. Oh, okay. So can we take a guess and extrapolate what De Vries might be getting from from that? No I mean, one's half a million, uh, something like that, would not be far off. And that, would this be for his whole career that this contract would be? No, no, no. That would be for his next year. No, I mean, I mean the, the, the the split he would have to give to his management to to this yeah, person a, to this that loan depends. person. <laughs> that depends on, on the, the deal. All right. As far as far as as is known now, it it as is known now is it was going to be about twenty twenty three, twenty twenty three. So just that yeah. one year. So I don't know. So if it he seems. ends up, so I mean, we do maths here. If he ends up on a Yuki Sonoda contract, he's not really getting a a, a massive return on his investment. I, I think the the, the most still, of it? the income that drivers of this echelon uh, generate is their private sponsor deals. And uh, all kinds of marketing stuff. Um, uh, they're not on on the on the oh, big, I'm with you. Uh, on, on the big bills like uh, like uh, the the top drivers. So it it could and probably then you get a discussion like, oh, but income that you generate because you're an AlphaTauri driver, that's oh. also mine. But, so I know, think we'll have we'll to see. we'll have to monitor what's coming out of the yeah. Dutch courts. <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, well, here's a situation that's going to come up where I know for a fact me and my panel are going to disagree. So some of us are going to be wrong. Okay, so I will caveat and communicate to you that you are going to hear at least one wrong opinion. And it's probably mine. My opinion is that we absolutely know for a fact it has basically been revealed that the side pods will return to the Mercedes. And that's my interpretation from a motorsport.com article written by Alex Kalinakis. And that was out this week. And he was quoting Mercedes technical director Mike Elliott. And it's a really interesting article. We'll put a link to the show notes below, Matt, I think, because it's, it's really good reading, really well written. And it's about Mike Elliott explaining how a single data point in the initial design simulations led them to go down a, a route that didn't work for them. And I, I, my understanding from this article is it that that fork in the road led them very much to the, the zero side pods, to push the zero side pods. So if they'd not made this one mistake in the simulation, maybe last year's car would have had side pods on. Um, I think this is a good time to switch across to Matt and say zero side pods. Oh, see, I'm doing where we went wrong last week. I'm springing a tech thing on you. But what was so bad about the zero side pods? Was it the airflow hitting the rear wheels, making it draggy? Well, the only thing wrong with the zero side pods is that given the compromise they were forced to run in order to stop the porpoising, um, the drag from the rear wheels messed up their energy recovery, as far as I understand it, and and deployment. So essentially you have they would have known about, they would not have missed the fact that the zero side pods would have resulted in the drag those rear wheels gave them. But they expected to be able to recover that with downforce from under the floor, where the real problem occurred was the numbers they got for running that floor, they were running it at a height, a ride height they couldn't run in the real world. So now they have to raise the car up. And having raised the car up, they don't have as much downforce as they thought they were going to have. And the only way to try and fix that is to make wings that have more downforce at the front and rear. The problem there is you're adding a lot more uh-huh. drag with those over the top of the body implements. And now suddenly that those rear wheels, which is very obvious to people who know things about aerodynamics, were always going to induce a fair amount of drag. Uh, now those are being looked at as the problem, along with the zero side pods. I don't think Mercedes will back away from the fundamental concept of the zero side pod. Oh, I, think I think they definitely will. Go on, sorry, sorry. I was going to go to Christian there, Matt. I hadn't realized. No, no, that's okay. I can come back to my point if oh, you prefer. No, it's just so... I want, I want so, to hear Matt's point. Yeah, sometimes, guys, um, I know I get accused of talking over my panel quite a lot. You know, we are dotted around the world and uh, and sometimes there's enough of a pause where I, I think someone has finished and that's what happened there. I do apologize, Matt. Continue. You don't think they're going to go away from the zero side pods? No, I think the fundamental concept they have, which is to expose as much of the floor as possible, will remain. They're going to have issues because the ride height, um, sorry, the floor edge height and the uh, height of the diffuser has been changed, which will fundamentally remove some downforce. So I think it's possible we could see slightly larger zero, 0.5 pods maybe, as they look to minimize the drag from those rear wheels while making up for the fundamental downforce deficit. 
But but I, I firmly believe they just wound up with a chassis that couldn't accommodate the changes they needed to to fully adjust for the porpoising. Um, I don't think the side ports are going to go, uh, go anyway either because uh, we've all been talking about these side ports uh, that's missing and it has nothing to do with that, in my opinion. I still think they, uh, they're going to uh, bid their horses on the aerodynamic... Uh, not goal, but uh, there are some advantages to the uh, non-sideport theory, uh, and I think they're going to stay on that route, and I think they're going to fix their, which was probably partly suspension at the rear end, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, at least uh, related to the suspension. Yeah. And when that works, we should not forget that uh, this car actually won a few races at the end of the year. Uh, and knowing Mercedes as a team, I would I would suggest that that's probably the worst team to have been on the back foot last year, learning so much from not winning. Uh, so I think it's going to be an interesting uh, 23. Jules, surely though, surely, even just, even if they're like dummy toy side pods and they don't do anything, wouldn't everyone at Mercedes and all the Mercedes fans out there just feel better? You know, like when you give a, a kid like a toy remote control and it doesn't really do anything, can't they just aesthetically let's put some side pods on there, paint it black, I think there'll be a lot of Mercedes and Hamilton fans who feel a lot better about it. You mean like the the vanity panels that we had somewhere <laughs> mid to 2010s? Yeah, that's it, the one. Yeah, cover those ugly dug noses. Um, uh, Spanners, I hate to say it, but I don't believe in it either. I can't imagine Mercedes dropping the one thing that that seemed to be there there what made them stick out from uh, from the rest of the field and it seems to me that's such a philosophy to do that and to um uh, you know to drop that and more or less be accused of oh they uh, now they do what the rest the uh, rest of us oh, i can't pride. imagine it it their, their pride would would be able to to uh, to stand that i think um they're going to stick with it and also because what uh, uh, earlier articles yeah. about the topic have, have, have stated is that like they found all kind of kind of solution, solutions and upgrades um, uh, on an area that didn't show in the bodywork. So I I somehow believe that they're they're, they're desperate to stick with these zero side pots and and manage things beneath that. Okay, well I'm just looking at the article here and. It's the quote is from again from oh see I've scrolled up to see who it was Mike Elliott and now I'm going to lose the quote but the quote was that when you look at the decision we made um, it's the first thing that we did was difficult to spot and then from that there was a cascade of of errors and so when you know where you ended up it's easy to look back and see where we took the wrong step. And then the article continues it has been suggested that the single simulation flaw led to Mercedes pressing ahead with its zero-pod uh, zero pod side-pod approach, which meant a large rear floor area that flexed under peak downforce and triggered, triggered extreme porpoising. To me, Matt, that does seem to strongly suggest that had they not made that error, they wouldn't have pressed ahead with the zero side-pod. Um, well, you don't know that it's the zero side-pod. It could easily be the floor design or yeah. the amount of flex. Uh, there, there's a lot of different places that or the ride height. I mean, again, I keep on going back to, I remember someone saying at some point, you know, if we could run it at the ride height we simulated, 
it would work great. So it could just be a simple mathematical error or modeling error that let them believe they could run it at a right height that they can't in the real world. And from that, all of these other problems float. Wait, are you telling me that the simulations are never wrong? That's what you're telling me. I, I, I'm hearing from you that you're saying all oh, simulations preseason are never wrong. Can you confirm that that's what you're saying? I'm just saying that any simulation is only as good as the information you give it. Simulations are never wrong. That's what Matt's saying. Because it has been rumoured that Ferrari are over a second faster than last year's car at the same stage in the simulations. And if that is to be taken as fact, then my message to all the Ferrari fans out there, you know how much I love you guys as sporting rivals, but this is the time that I, the time of year, and with this information, you should absolutely 100% start getting your hopes up now. Just buy Ferrari 2023 World Constructors t-shirts. Get them done now while they're cheap. That's my advice to you. Christian. <laughs> yeah. uh, I totally agree. It's uh, 30 horsepower more than last year's engine. As, as far as I, I saw, there was someone who's already made like a Ferrari, 30 horsepower more. Mercedes, 15. And I think uh, Red Bull was 10. And Renault was just the same <laughs> as yes. last year, yeah. which is basically you could just uh, re- re- rewrite the, the year number on that meme. And it's the same every year, isn't it? I know. I, I, the hard thing about being a Ferrari we, fan... Oh, sorry, Christian. I'm just saying, the hard thing about being a Ferrari fan is just their tendency to come out of the blocks hot and that to be their, yeah. their kind of peak of performance relative to others. But, I mean, if anyone's allowed to do that, it's the Ferrari fans because, <laughs> I mean, come on. We need... and They should they should win a championship very soon uh, with the funding, with the heritage, with everything. Everyone wants Ferrari to win. And also, we also want the others to win. But... I totally get the Ferrari hype train, uh, and it's getting a little little late, though, uh, and I feel a little sorry for their fans. They, uh, they they deserve better. I said at the start of last season, as somebody who, from a sporting point of view, like hates Ferrari, like, even I kind of want them to win a championship because that makes them easier to be a, a sporting giant rival. Man. Yeah, it does. But I mean, right now, with if they win or even get close, it's fully Bonato. It's his car that we're going to see next season. So I just want to put that out there. Wait a minute. What if they win simply on the fact that they keep getting all the strategy calls right? And that is something that Vasur has stamped on and cut down on errors. And that's the reason they win. If they change strategist, I would be behind that. But as far as I know, they're not. Fine. Okay. Sorry, that was a bit of a diversion um, to Ferrari. Jules. Yeah, I think uh, us trying to read things into motorsport articles with writers who are kind of not really quoting someone from a team, but kind of trying to refer to it as well. Maybe it means we're just really ready for (laughs) preseason testing where we can try to read things into amounts of laps and lap times done and livery reveals and 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 new car reveals uh, that are actually cars from last year and it's you know. really, it's an interesting point you said there because it's a good article but you do have to be careful to watch where the quotation yeah. marks start and end and where you know opinion comes into it um so even the point i was making there about the zero pods really i've extrapolated that from from outside of the quotation marks as well 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um, but sticking with Mercedes for a moment and sticking with areas in which people disagree with me strongly... I put out what I thought was a fairly innocuous tweet and lots of people disagreed with me. So I thought, fantastic. This will be an interesting discussion point. It is very much, in my mind, obvious that Lewis Hamilton is the number one driver at Mercedes. So there you go. I'm going to say it. Lewis Hamilton is the number one driver at Mercedes. And I felt that Lewis Hamilton has often been the number one. So a lot of people you know, got pretty mad at me for that saying no Mercedes always treat their drivers equally and I think if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan you kind of it's nicer it's a better narrative if he's always like for like equipment and he always has the same treatment and status from a team as his teammates and and then he looks like a a much much better driver and he's an incredible driver I'm a big fan of Lewis Hamilton but I do feel like since his battle with Fernando Alonso where where we don't know the behind-the-scenes stuff. We know that, uh, from people like Mark Priestley and his book that there was a lot of, of rivalry behind the scenes and it split the team. Maybe Lewis Hamilton won that political argument and that battle as much as Fernando Alonso managed to, to lose it. And if you, if you look at Alonso's record going forward after that, it seems he has a habit of, of losing the team you know, emotionally and um, and being divisive in a team. So, but Lewis Hamilton, to that same degree, seemed very popular within McLaren. And he was, uh, you know, on top of Heike Kovalainen. I don't know if there was a great political feud there where he managed to get the best engineers from Heike Kovalainen's side over to his side. Uh, But when he went over to Mercedes, there was an incident, I believe, in Malaysia where basically Rosberg couldn't take the podium. He was told to hold off because Mercedes wanted their new superstar signing to, to get the podium. Okay, you could argue as well, they also didn't want them to clatter into each other. But Rosberg had such an overspeed in that race that it was hard to not look at that and say they needed to justify the decision to bring in Lewis Hamilton on a big money deal. And, and I feel like he was the number one driver with a, a very good 
teammate Nico Rosberg giving them a real headache and eventually earning enough respect to be told, you know, to, for Lewis Hamilton to be told to, to not do a crocodile holding him back in Abu Dhabi in 2016. Uh, but certainly with Bottas, I do wonder, yes, they're given equal cars, on paper equal status, but in the engineering room, when people were, were sitting there designing their car, did they have a driver's driving style in mind? Can you design to one driver and, and not another? We seem to always be told that you can, citing Verstappen and Sergio Perez. So to my mind, Mercedes do design for and go forward with that feeling that Lewis Hamilton is their, their number one driver. And I believe there is some unfinished business. Every time you hear from Toto Wolff or, or Lewis Hamilton, especially when they refer to 2021, that's still very much on their minds. And th there was a quote from somewhere where one of the engineers at Mercedes said, Lewis Hamilton knew what kind of attitude he wanted to bring into 2022 to kind of resolve the situation. And we couldn't give him the tools to do that. And so whilst George Russell is clearly a very good driver, they used the language before last season very much of learning. And if you listen to George Russell, he's been talking about, I feel like what I've learned from Lewis Hamilton makes up for the increased time he spent at Williams that he didn't particularly want to spend at Williams. So I still feel Lewis Hamilton, number one driver. Am I right? Am I wrong? Christian, come on. He's the number one driver. Uh, you're totally right. Of course, he's the number one driver. Uh, uh, if I've, I'm not going to take it chronologically uh, uh, in the order you said it. No, and yeah, fine. <laughs> to everything. But let me just start by 2007. I don't think Hamilton was uh, a player in that game. He was a card on Ron Dennis's hand Excellent. at that time. And then he grew. And uh, by the time he got to Mercedes, I think Hamilton was a, a force to be reckoned with and was treated that way. And I think uh, the team was sad that they had that 16 uh, Rosberg Hamilton fight at the uh, at the end of the year. Uh, basically, probably mostly because of the Indian failure in Malaysia, which would just have given yeah. Hamilton the, the victory. But um, at this point in time, I think the entire team still has has that in them. I have it in me still. Uh, that finale uh, uh, in 2021 still hurts it still uh, it goes against everything in my body that's that is uh, formula one affiliated it oh, was really i'm uh, over it christian hardly, yeah, yeah, hardly ever I'm, think about it but but listen i'm totally over <laughs> it because we have to get over it but still if i was working in mercedes they could uh, if they put a lie detector on me and ask me if i was over it everyone would say no and it would be true <laughs> if you know what i mean and uh, and that will that will just be in them but let me make one last point i think this is completely uh, future talk theory, uh, but I think both uh, Toto Wolff and Hamilton are thinking about ending their Formula One careers uh, where they are right now. Yeah. And I think the, the James Vowles thing is to get him in line to be the next Toto Wolff, and uh, that will be when they have their eighth championship, uh, both Hamilton and Toto, and they can disappear into the sunset. Evolve, yeah, and yeah. then uh, Vowles can control the new George Russell, maybe... Schumacher team. Well, there's a couple of really interesting uh, comments here, Matt, in our Slack group. Eleanor is suggesting that Hamilton is part of the management team as well as a driver. We don't have any insight on that. That's an interesting take. And Mark saying the people assuming Mercedes always have equal drivers are forgetting that they were allowed to race more when they were a class apart and really far ahead in the field. And certainly, yeah, Matt, it is much easier, isn't it, when you've got when you've got that hybrid jump like in 2014, you're almost obliged 
to to let them race at that point. Although no one gave that memo to um, to Verstappen and Horner. But when it's been a bit more competitive, you really you need to pick. Then you need to pick and ha- and have uh, you know favor one. Well, as with everything, there comes a point where your returns are diminishing. So yes, let them race, but you don't let them race to the point where they crash each other out, which we did see happen with uh, Hamilton and Rosberg on occasion. <laughs> yeah, back in the day. Oh, so but fun. I think you know. If you're going to argue about what people mean by number one driver, if you're saying the number one driver is a driver who scored the most points, then you could argue technically Russell is the number one driver. But no one in their right mind Mm. is going to overlook the amount of experience and, quite frankly, talent and, and the long roots that Hamilton has in this team. So if by number one driver, we mean the driver that they go to to ask their opinion of changes to the car and so on and so forth. They'll ask both drivers, but if they have to pick one, they're going to pick Lewis. And even people who are Hamilton haters would agree that would be the person that you'd listen to in that circumstance. So, I mean, I I will use the Alonzo analogy. Yeah, Ocon won, but it was very clear. Alonzo was the number one driver at Alpine yeah. despite that. And I think I think that's what we're looking at here with Mercedes. I think just supplemental to that, I just want to sort of reflect on how this will come across as a reflection of George Russell's performance as well. So I think this season, if it's quite close, but Mercedes have got a title shot and they're pushing forward with Lewis Hamilton as their number one and designing for Lewis Hamilton, there is a real possibility that George Russell could look Bottas-esque and in a similar situation to Bottas was looking when it was competitive against Ferrari. And I don't necessarily think that should be taken against George Russell. So he's had a really good start. He's been really positive. If he ends up in a, a support role, a little bit off the pace next season, I don't think people should be like, you know, writing his, uh, you know, writing him off as a Formula One driver. So it's as much about that as, as anything else. Sorry, Christian. Uh, one thing you mentioned, the the setting up the car thing. I don't think uh, any drivers are in the first initial meetings. I think the, the initial meetings are what? how can we get the, the fastest time? And yeah. then very, very late in the process, you're going to start simulating the car. And that's when the drivers are going to have a little bit of say, but not much. It's not until you have, the, the have let's say, extracted 100% of what you got, then you start uh, uh, taking drivers into account in a certain way. Jules. Um, in Slack group, uh, Maria Klados. Uh, I was just I looking at that I, one. I pronounce it well. Uh, I think she makes a, a great point by saying like it, it, it matters how you impose the, the number one driver uh, mm. role. I think uh, she refers to Red Bull, where it's pretty clear, I guess. Yeah, there's parts, <laughs> and yeah. and and it differs a lot from from Mercedes or uh, or other teams. And uh, um, I I think if you break it down to this, no matter who has the better start of the season, I think Mercedes would stick with equal treatment longer. Sure. If, uh, if Hamilton is behind Russell, then the other way around. Ah, okay. So if Hamilton is behind Russell, they go, oh, no, it's all equal. They're, they're fair to fight. And then that would give Hamilton a, a sort of a fighting chance to get back into it. If it's Russell behind Hamilton, they might say, ah, well, actually, look, this is our established driver. Let's push ahead. And that answers a, the, the follow-up question Maria had there, which is, 
how do you favour one? How and when? Which I think is an absolutely fascinating topic because with Red Bull, I think, you know, you look at iterations and you can say, well, when there's a new part and we know it works, we'll just give that to Max Verstappen whilst we fabricate the other parts. You can also give them, I don't know how much of a difference there is between uh, mechanics or, or crew. Could could the senior strategist concentrate a bit more on, on Max? Could the best... I don't know, mirror, wing mirror guy, the the guy who shines the wing mirrors, like the best one goes on Verstappen's car and Perez has slightly blurry wing mirrors. Uh, but you can you can do things a little bit less subtly. Ferrari have cracked gearboxes open in the past to give Fernando Alonso grid positions. They literally just broke the seal on Massa's uh, grid, grid gearbox. So he lost five places. Um, and then, and if you look at the dynamic, I've said this before with Leclerc and Vettel, Vettel was the, the better, faster driver for, for a good chunk of time. And then like a switch, you could see politically he'd, he'd lost Ferrari. Oh, I think probably Brazil. What year was it in Brazil where he just wandered across the track and took took Leclerc out? And I think took both of them out. And then you just seem to see this step change where a switch went off and they just they flicked the switch from Vettel to Leclerc. And I'd, I think like Ferrari would be much more dynamic and just go, yeah, all right, we'll just make that car faster than that car. Would Mercedes be like either of those teams? No, probably not. Um, but I'm sure there's other ways that you would just lean in. And if you've got the will and the backing of a team for you specifically with a purpose and a goal, that's going to be an advantage. There's going to be ways for that to manifest. I also think it's a, it's a lot about dynamics within the team, intra-team dynamics, uh, which is things we can't see as uh, viewers of the sport, even if we try to follow it really closely by reading uh, certain journalists and stuff like that. We can get a sense of what's going on, but everyone knows if you're part of a team where you're not really feeling welcomed or maybe don't feel as respected as you think of yourself to be or should be, I think that does a lot and we don't, we can't see that, but we can, we can often feel it in the radio calls. We can, we can sense there's something bubbling. Uh, and I think that that is what hurts drivers the most when they feel that. So uh, Mercedes famously is much more fair than, than other teams. Oh, in fact, I, I'd be willing to bet there is a formula that if the driver's championship is close enough with so many rounds left, and only when that formula is satisfied can you ask the other driver to give up a place for the driver that might win the championship. I mean, they agree to all these rules well in advance. So it's a level playing field for the drivers. But what's not level is the fact that Lewis has been there since 2013 yes. yeah. and has basically been the fastest driver. This entire car, this entire concept, this entire team has been Lewis Hamilton's team. So even though they try and make that playing field level, on a season-to-season -season basis, the team itself is inevitably going to be tilted towards Lewis and what makes him quicker, even as they attempt to be fair to both drivers. If we, what we need is we need, we need someone at Mercedes just to, if you're listening and you're in the Mercedes team, just, you know, the best one would be the cleaner. If you're a cleaner at Mercedes, can you just sneak into Wolf's office and just pull out the file, go to H for Hamilton and just see what's in that contract? Because he's signed several contracts and you you wonder now when he's got to the age and the wealth where he doesn't have to be a formula one driver he's achieved an awful lot he's statistically in championship terms statistically his placings make him the most successful formula one driver of all time there's got to be a part of him that goes yeah i'll stay if you make sure that i always have 
uh, M&Ms in a bowl with all the green ones picked out because I don't like the green ones. So I'm guessing the the stipulations in his contract have become more and more you know, pushy. He's got more and more power within the team and the sport. Um, maybe to 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 close us off, or but while all of this sounds really wholesome and 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 like oh, that's just so so neat and sweet by Mercedes. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, history shows that teams that have a really really distinct difference between number one and Agreed. number two drivers yeah. are the teams that mostly win the championships. And I think if you look at Red Bull and earlier days, uh, Schumacher's Ferrari, uh, uh, McLaren Senna, when mm. Prost had gotten uh, <laughs> rid of, well. yeah. uh, when Alonso won his championships, it, it's mostly, it, it helps. If you look at last season, if at Red Bull, it wasn't so clear, uh, Max Verstappen would have had to wait a, a bit longer to clinch his second title, I think so. Yeah, yeah, and uh, let's include let's include Mika Hakkinen and, and Coulthard in that. Coulthard would have had him, but for internal politics. Absolutely, I'm stick to my guns. Uh, let's talk about the current world champion. Okay, another thing that people on on uh, certain forums have disagreed with me about. Hump, I, I, I've not I've not made best friends with the internet this week, man. Not not this week. I'm sensing a theme here. <laughs> Fine, I'll continue to be wrong about things. Here we go. Max Verstappen has peaked. There we go. Can we make that the title of the show? No, I understand that that's quite clickbaity, but I think, and Christian's given me a right look here. Okay, not in pure talent. He may have talent to come. I'm talking about the phenomenon that is Max Verstappen may have hit its peak effectiveness because. He was a very different kind of driver when he came into Formula One. He was happy to take out his teammate. He took out Vettel in, in China. Uh, he was just playing ping pong uh, all around, very much like, like Lewis Hamilton when he was frustrated in 2011 and he seemed to hit Massa every other race. Uh, oh, no, that was 2009, wasn't it? Uh, but Verstappen came in, just no compromise driver. And a lot like someone can come into a sport in tennis and win a, a tournament, like the British lady, Emma Raducanu, came into the New York Open and just surprised the tennis world. Well, she hasn't done much since then. And I've heard people, I'm not a tennis expert, say that that's largely because people figured out her playing style. And Max Verstappen might be on the verge of just losing the surprise edge where people treat him differently. So he's he's coming to the sport and then in 2021 there was a lot of, of circumstances where other drivers gave him too much respect. And the FIA, I think, were almost surprised, were, were overwhelmed with the kind of things that Verstappen was doing. So he got away with, let, let's call it what it is, it was a brake check. He got away with the brake check. He got away with uh, Brazil, where he just ran Hamilton miles off the road. He got away with several taps, including uh, Imola. Uh, he basically got away with parking his car on, on top of Lewis Hamilton at Monza. And they made rules around him. And that's not the first time that that's happened. This isn't anti-Verstappen. If you are a Verstappen fan, you probably like the fact that he went in there absolutely no compromise and, and, and basically tested the rules of Formula One. The weaving. There was a rule, wasn't there, that, uh, about weaving and changing direction too many times. That was changed because of Verstappen. This could be interpreted as a compliment. He came in and he made everyone think about how you're supposed to officiate 
motorsport and how you're supposed to race against someone like that. And Hamilton, in many ways, failed that test because he said time and time again before 21, I I let him, I just let him go because he's he's a, he's a maniac and I I don't want to get tangled up in that and I've got more to lose, so I'll let him go. You can't do that forever because he's the two-time world champion now. So I think now you either have to change the rules to to force Verstappen to not drive that way, which I don't really think they've done. He's still a pretty uncompromising driver. Or you have to be like Verstappen and 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 when you go wheel to wheel with him, you have to be prepared to to have, you know, you have to be prepared to to have contact or to stand up for yourself. And that's what I mean, Matt. That's what I mean when I say that perhaps the effect of Verstappen has peaked. Well, you raise an interesting point. Um, Yay. First of all, I would suggest to anyone who doesn't know, just Google Michael Jordan, basketball player, kind of famous, and traveling, and you will get a whole host of articles about how he basically got away with that his entire career. And then with a little more research, what you will find is that it is a thing that the referees, and this would include race directors in Formula One, I would, and the stewards, treat people who are perceived superstars differently than they treat other drivers. Now, the thing with Max that you're referencing is that it's it's getting hard to deny because it keeps on being brought up again by non-Max Verstappen fans. (laughs) I mean, and, and we saw and neutrals, actually, and neutrals like me bringing it up. Yeah, it? well, and Gunther Steiner complaining about the black and orange flag still in print just last week. So I think race direction is going to be under more pressure to correctly penalize these. I think I don't think we'll see Max change his driving style, mm. but I do feel like automatically giving him the benefit of the doubt is going to be more challenging for the stewards and for the race directors as he becomes more successful and more yes. pressure is applied from other teams. And I just want to be really clear because I've immediately got loads of comments in the live chat. I am not talking about a peak in, t- in talent, although very clearly that was the clickbaity nature of, of how I led that segment. No, I'm, I'm sure he can perfect his craft. He can get technically better, faster, more consistent. I, I really am talking about the Verstappen effect. Uh, I want to add uh, something that is interesting when when people are coming up. Take, for instance, if you if, if you take like a, a rock band, a rock band that is like the opposition to all the pop music right now. So they destroy everything on stage yeah. <laughs> and they get a lot of uh, 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 communication in the media and stuff like that just from being like the odd one out. Now, you can't keep this up because – eventually when you grow to to perform on the main stage, if you destroy that every time, it will just lose you your job. So there has to be a balance in these things. And that's, that goes for racing as well. When you, when you come up, you're in, 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 in a car that is uh, slower than the other ones, but you can still keep it like, I, I think a little bit like Kevin Magnussen actually did in, in, in Spa. There was a race where he kept Button and Alonso and everyone behind him. And he drove, he drove on the edge and sometimes over the edge uh, of what is dirty driving, but still he fought for it, everything yeah. he could. Now it's different if you have the fastest car and you still just play around with others. So I think, I think uh, the well, not the rules on paper, but the human rules in which we view it changes when you're underdog or yeah. the world champion. That is one thing. The other thing, uh, just shortly, is 
No, he's he's not uh, lost it yet. <laughs> there's, I think there's a lot to come from Max Verstappen <laughs> still. Uh, uh, and I hope for good racing next year. Yeah. So just to be super double, triple clear, yes, there could be more to come from him performance-wise and driving-wise. I really am talking more about how everyone else around him re- reacts to him. Like, will people, will people cotton on that if you're wheel-to-wheel in a championship fight with Max Verstappen, right from the beginning, you've got to be as uncompromising as, as Verstappen is. And so many times, Hamilton leapt out of his way to avoid an accident, even on that final lap in, in Abu Dhabi, when Verstappen eventually made the overtake. Hamilton could have legitimately held his ground and there could have been a crash and both drivers could have gone out, but but Verstappen would have been ahead still and, and still won the championship unless there was a steward's deci- decision to take away points, which would actually which would have been unprecedented. I don't think I've ever seen that. So I know some people are going to think this is going to come out as as anti-Verstappen, but actually, as begrudging as, as it is for me to say, when you look at the, the approach that Red Bull, Horner, through the media, through, yes, through the way they pressured uh, race directors and the way they they put this kind of pressure on to, to people to sympathise with them. And for them, actually, it's us who are 52G in the hospital when Verstappen was getting a routine checkup. They really painted that as if Verstappen was on death's door while Lewis Hamilton was there parading. They played a total media, a, a total performance, a total no compromise game that has given them two world championships. They pushed the limit in every single department, including finance. And and that's won them two championships. And the other teams need to get on top of that. One of Toto Wolff's quotes from interviews this week was that Abu Dhabi shook his sense of fairness and fair play. But you know, it's not a game of croquet in an English manner. It is Formula One. It's elite sport. And they have, I think they've shocked the Formula One world a little bit with with how they've gone about winning these titles. Jules. Agree. Uh, they took it to, uh, to a, a whole nother level, uh, media-wise, uh, and also uh, behavior on track, uh, uh, in the paddock, uh, in the pit lane. But um, if you speak of, can Max Verstappen like, up his game, or, or has he peaked or not? I think... Um, We've underestimated him before. Yeah, like, agree. I, I remember when he first got in a title fight. It was like, ooh, uh, can he, uh, can he, can he mentally yeah. uh, armor himself for that? <laughs> yes, he can. Uh, <laughs> will he choke under pressure? And he didn't. He 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 fought that that title fight in twenty one, despite how, how the out- outcome developed. Um, he fought it like like a mature guy, and and he didn't break under pressure. And I think what what could answer your question, like has he hit his max or is there more to it, would depend on how this season uh, will uh, will go. If he is faced with another real battle, so not like last year yes. when he can can walk it home, but if he f- finds himself in a real battle and maybe a different battle than with Mercedes or Hamilton, but maybe with Leclerc, who he fought in a whole different way last season in the first half of the season than he fought Hamilton. Um, Just on that, though, quickly, that was partially down to some rule changes, where this is where I think they did make some some rule changes that Verstappen obviously listened to. So I think it was a lot was made of like, oh, he showed Leclerc more respect than Hamilton. But there was some specific changes in from the race direction as well. 
There were, but then in the second half of the season, when Hamilton was back up to level and started getting into duels with him, it it all fell apart again. But you know, it. I think the only thing that could better Max Verstappen is the challenges he's faced with, because I can see him uh, losing interest in this if he walks uh, to another one or two championships. Because I don't think he's the type of guy that that um keeps uh being interested or that has yeah. his fire his flame going up uh for challenges like he had last season i think he he will go someplace else and 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 uh, uh find a new challenge there so out I, of I think, f1 yeah you think i so? believe so yeah I, I, he was already quoted i think after the end of last season or during the last couple of races where he said, like, I, I don't see myself in Formula One in like six, seven, eight years or 10 years. Christian. Um, back to the point you were saying, uh, Hamilton uh, would eventually sometimes just say, let him go. Yeah. And that is uh, where I see Hamilton and Max Verstappen differ. Uh, Hamilton has matured in his role because of the many years he's been in the sport. When he started out, he wouldn't let anyone go. He would fight for every inch. But that is what I think the only thing that Max Verstappen, uh, Verstappen lacks because he, he, he has everything and he's going to keep on winning. I think it will demotivate him if no one teaches him stuff like this. And it seems like the team he's in is basically, I've said this probably every time I'm on here uh, and I hate to repeat myself, <laughs> but I don't think Red Bull is the, pro the right team for Max Verstappen uh, as a human being. I think uh, he needs Ooh. to be somewhere where they don't do the dirty tricks, somewhere that, where there's a bit more heart, uh, if you can say that, maybe a little bit more family than uh, can of soda would be very good for uh, Verstappen as a human being, I think. Oh, this is going to get so many emails. Words, but uh, <laughs> that's just my take on it. But driving-wise, I don't think you can better Max Verstappen because I think he's he's uh, 10 in each category. Jules? I fully, I fully agree with Christian. Uh, one of the challenges that he might find himself uh, motivated by is changing team. Um, uh, Red Bull has 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 nurtured him, and he's become Red Bull, and Red Bull has become him in the last two seasons, I think. But getting into another team, whether it be Ferrari or maybe Mercedes or whoever is the best team by then, that that could keep him interested, I think. But um, doing like what Hamilton or Schumacher did in his days, like string three four five titles uh, in a row with the same team i uh yeah i i can't see him do that no, not like like he's not able but like he can be bothered interesting yes it, people's motivations differ within the within the sport and certainly you know look at lois lewis hamilton he's been quoted as saying that there has been times over the last couple of years he's woken up and gone oh actually i don't want to do this anymore so we know that the the end is coming for for lewis hamilton when physically and talent wise and status wise he could probably go on you know another 10 years looking at a lot of the drivers now and alonso's 87 years old and he's going to start his first season with aston martin next year uh, look this has been a really interesting topic i i am absolutely sure people are going to disagree with us and you are more than welcome to all our dms on our accounts are open and you can email us feedback at mistapex.net and that will go to matt as well disagree with us all you want All I ask is just try and do it in a kind of nice, fun tone. Make it a friendly email or DM or tweet, and we're much more 
likely to respond. If you say mean, nasty things about my panel, I will definitely respond in a, a slightly horrible and snarky way. Boo, be nice. If you have to attack any of the panel, if you have to, then obviously Kyle. But Christian, uh, <laughs> we haven't on this show uh, really talked about the politics or, or the politics ban that seems to have been levied without permission. So, so you, you're not allowed to make a political point without permission. We've not really addressed that on this show. I we do tend to shy away from you know, overtly political things, but let's let's tear that away because I know you have opinions on this politics ban. Well, it's not. I wouldn't say I have opinions. Of course, I have opinions, but it, it's a bit to, to do with how everyone is reacting to this. So let's just update uh, everyone. It's yes. the FIA International Sporting Code 2023. And uh, this one says uh, it prohibits drivers from the general making and display of political, religious and personal statements without prior approval from the sports governing body. And everyone is up in their arms about this being uh, included in the, the sports regulations, which I think is a bit weird because this should have been in the sporting code regulations from the beginning. What, what we need to understand is you, you cannot have a, a, a sport where everyone is allowed to just broadcast their own political views within the scope of the sport. That will ruin everything. Now, do I not support all Hamilton's T-shirts, uh, his uh, helmets, yeah. uh, everything Fettel did? Of course, I, I support that. But should it be allowed to do within the environment of the podium of Formula One? Of course not. That is why the sport has to put this in the coding. It has to be yeah. a neutral sport. Now, uh, on the other hand, should drivers, and I know you have a lot to say, and you will say <laughs> you it in a few it, seconds. On the other hand, should drivers and VIPs in the sport voice their opinion about matters that are important to them? Of course they should. And that is probably the most important thing about a brand these days, be that uh, are you an engine, are you a soda, are you a driver? Uh, the, the FIFA World Championship, I think, showed us there's a limit uh, and the and the border of that limit limit is uh, constantly adjusting, you could mm. say. And the new generation, I think, it, it's not like the new generations are going to come in, the, the the ones who are fifteen years old today, and say, "Stop it!" and we will change everything. But the new generation will change everything uh, in a certain way, and they're not going to take it. And I think it's evident for for big businesses, governing bodies of uh, other sports as well, to realize that. Uh, doing things right is how you make money in the future. And that is the adjustment I think we will see. But I'm still looking forward to seeing how the drivers will react to this because, of course, Hamilton will not stop voicing his opinion, as will the other drivers not stop voicing their opinion. Now they just have to find different ways of doing it. Mm. And that could probably kickstart things in a new way. Uh, the, but doing the right thing is like a corkscrew. You, you can push it down, but it will always come to the top of the water again. I understand the, the sort of very grown-up approach you're taking there. But my initial reaction to this was that really there's a lot of Middle Eastern uh, money. And it seemed to me that it was a very specific reaction similar to what was happening in Qatar and the World Cup, where people wanted to display support for the LGBTQ plus community and, and display rainbow flags. And it felt like this was specifically a way for the FIA 
uh, in when they're racing in countries where that is is not as free and fair and open as I personally believe it should be. It felt like it was a very specific way for them to go, no, you can't have your rainbow flags if it's going to upset the host country. And I think that's, to me, yes, your business decisions and the, you know, going forward in a responsible way is broadly correct. But I, I just didn't feel like the motivation for that legislation was correct or, or didn't feel good. Just a short comment on that. Uh, actually, it was the Danish team who was the first team to talk about using this, uh, playing uh, in the World Cup with uh, an yeah. armband saying uh, well, we support everyone. Some, a supportive yes. uh, armband. Yeah. Uh, and they chose not to do it, which was a giant mistake from my point of view. They should have definitely done that. Qatar was uh, f- uh, FIFA World Cup was a completely different story than uh, Formula One. Sure. Uh, we need we need to get those facts straight because here here we're talking about a country that where a lot of people died building stadiums for this event, mm. which is just yeah, just yeah. horrible. Mm. Formula One is not at that level. I know there is uh, uh, money within Formula One, but if you if you really want to take that approach to life, you need to educate yourself on what money really is, how they work, and where they come from, and how your own government are doing businesses with all these countries and are dependent on some of these countries. And because you can't just point your finger at Formula One and say, you do bad because you like Saudi Arabia. Mm. You, if you want to do that finger pointing, educate yourself. Know where to point your finger because Formula One is a little, little bit, tiny bit, small player in this very, very big game. Mm. And, and look, and I, I specifically cite Middle Eastern countries because they happen to to have laws where it is not uh, easy for homosexual couples to they certainly don't have the same rights certainly wouldn't f- feel as as free and and that hits home to people from you know countries like ours where it's it's relatively open and and people can live their lives and get married and love whoever they want and then suddenly find themselves in a in a country where actually just them living their normal life and and loving their partner is either illegal or frowned upon or shamed so to us, it can feel quite jarring to then be told, no, you, you can't just display a rainbow flag. That feels but, like you're targeting a very specific group of people. Now, if you could show me that the motivation actually was for, for other things in general, but it does feel like it was specifically that. Yeah, I, uh, I, ho- I hope you're not misunderstanding me because I'm taking a very, very like broad perspective on this. This is not like down in the matter of is yeah. it right to race in Qatar or is it not? Mm. Because naturally we should not be uh, looking at races in these cities but there's also a thing called the world and how it works and the way all the waves are uh, the, the way they are going this uh, at these times are mm. the right way we are talking about these things every time there's a race in qatar we are talking about these things uh, hamilton is wearing his helmet there's going to be uh, uh, demonstrators and stuff like that and more and more people are talking about it it might not change in two years, but in 10 years, it will definitely have changed. And things are going in the right direction. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying point your finger where it's supposed to be pointed. And along those lines, I think we could all agree that human rights are not politics. Human rights are human rights. So if I am a driver and I put a rainbow on my helmet, is that a personal statement? Is that a religious statement? Or is that politics? Because I could also argue inherently Formula One going to any country, including mine, is political. Now, there are obviously countries that are 
spending large sums of money. And I know we mentioned Saudi Arabia and Formula One is not the only sport they're spending money on that want these sports. I mean, I think Azerbaijan was another one. They want these sports to come to make themselves more palatable to modern corporate interests, to bring in trade, to bring in new business. And so they're, they're willing to spend the money, but they don't want what comes along with that openness and they try and control it, which fair enough, they're their own sovereign countries. But if I've been invited as a guest, then, then the argument, but you see what I'm saying? What is a statement really? Yeah. Is I'm, it something on my helmet? Is it something I say on the podium? Is it a t-shirt? And the timing of it for me is what makes it, and I think you agree with me, yeah, Spanners, yeah. is what makes it suspect. It seems like they're telling the drivers you're not going to be able to put rainbows on your helmets like you did last season. But I don't agree with that. I think that you have to, as a country inviting people in, you yeah. have to navigate that with the people you've invited as your guests. So if a driver asks for permission to wear a rainbow flag in Saudi Arabia and they say yes, that kind of knocked my point on the head. And I guess that would prove me wrong. So if drivers are, are allowed to do that in the countries that I've I've stated, then, you know, I'll, I'll take it back. If they say, please, may we do that? And they say, yes, maybe the system kind of works. But I guess, Christian, I've been sort of broadly lucky in that most of the causes like what Sebastian Vettel, let's not destroy the planet and let's make hotels for bees. I'm very I'm in favor of all of those. He made a bee hotel in the shape of a Formula One car. How cool was that? Um, and and of course, have the freedom to live your life and love whoever you want. Um, as EJ points out, there's, you know, there was Nazi salutes on the podium. And I don't express my political opinions too often, Christian, but I am going to say I, I think being a current Nazi supporter or a Nazi supporter really at any time is broadly bad. Would I support, that's the question I have to ask myself, would I be as supportive of quote unquote political statements if it was something that I found less agreeable? Let me put it in other words. I, I'm fairly sure we haven't seen the last rainbow helmet uh, or things of that matter. Will we see more T-shirts on the podium? I think not. Yeah. And if they crack down on drivers making statements on their helmets and stuff like that, I think we're going to see see some problems, I think, because that is the personalization of them. So. Uh, I, I have a. I think they have put it in the sporting code to be able to to tell people not to wear this and that in certain areas and in certain uh, periods of the race. But cracking down on helmets, uh, I don't think they're going to take it that far. I hope not. Oh, well, let's watch this space. And uh, look, again, do send us your feedback on the, these topics. And I think you can tell, you can see the fear on my face. If you're watching on the YouTube or the live stream, I'm just mentally unpicking, you know, the emails and, and tweets. Uh, but it's it's certainly it's a different perspective because certainly as, you know, someone who has happened to have been lucky enough to be on the side of the fence where I I have agreed with a lot of the political statements uh, or these these personal statements, it's easy for me to say, well, it should be allowed. I guess I would be tested if something I found abhorrent w was being you know loudly politicized by by an F1 driver. And finally, uh, I think this will go to, to Matt. The F1 are banning all wind tunnels. So that'll be interesting. It's a tale as old as time, or at least it goes back to 2015. It's been an ongoing discussion. Wind tunnels are expensive. They are, resor they are resource hungry. And um, 
with the rise of software and CFD and stuff like that, it's long been a dream. In fact, I don't know if you remember, was it Virgin, their brief entry into the sport? They said, we don't even need a wind tunnel. We're going to do it all uh, with CFD. And, and they won know. 18 titles off the back of that. And they also had a fuel tank that wasn't big enough to get them to the end of the race. But that was a separate story. Um, and so yet again, in the pursuit of carbon neutral Formula One, it has come out that these discussions are underway to get rid of or to ban wind tunnels. Now, this is probably not great news for Aston Martin or McLaren, both of whom are in the final stages of building new wind tunnels for themselves. And, um, you know, I think your average neighborhood aerodynamicist is also not going to be entirely happy because the steps of correlation are from software, CFD simulation, to wind tunnel, and then to testing on track. Remove one of those supports, and you can wind up getting much more random problems and have more issues correlating what's happening on track with what's happening in your design studio. Uh, okay, uh, but realistically, right now, F1 is using the wind tunnel time as as ballast, which says to you, it's very, very important, and teams were getting upset. Red Bull seemed very upset by their ten percent cut on top of their their success ballast for winning the championship, and and it feels like aerodynamicists kind of dominate F one. I, I just can't imagine a world without it. Well, I think aerodynamicists do because once you get past the once the power units reach parity, which we saw in twenty twenty one, finally with Honda and their effort against Mercedes, aerodynamics is really where most of your time will come from. So yeah, they're not going to want to give up a tool that makes them more accurate. You would have a different, I saw somebody write, you would have a different kind of a series if there was no wind tunnel and the cars would not be the same as we have right now. Excellent. I think that's as much of that as I can understand or digest. But look out for a tech time coming to a place near you. So in two weeks time, um, I'm hitting the road for, for a little while. So in a couple of weeks, we will have a, a that and a forbidden F1 fruits section and any other segments I can rustle up for you people on that Sunday. Next week, we're going to have a mailbag with a substitute host. Uh, but I will be in a camper monitoring along and joining you guys in the patron Slack group. Thank you so much for the ongoing Patreon support and the recent flurry of Patreon support as well. You can support us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Watching those arriving in our inbox has been incredibly motivating. Motivating. Every time there's an off-season, obviously the patron dips because why would you support a podcast for a sport that's not running for three months? Um, so we do have a bit of a, a sad moment as the season trickles to an end, but we, we are very much invigorated and we're hoping people will get behind us for the new season as well oh for that mailbag show feedback at mistapex.net that will be the place to send your questions make the title of the email mailbag and then we'll know to try and put that together for next week's show and let's uh, have some country specific predictions uh, i know this is a difficult one jules uh, you are at jules sagers with two e's it's at jules sagers is that it no f1 correct correct at jules sagers on twitter Go and follow him. There'll be a link in, in the show notes below. And bold prediction, which Dutch driver will end up on top in 2023? Just because of the lawsuits, I think Max Verstappen Matt will... will sneak uh, in. Yeah. <laughs> okay, will De Vries uh, beat Yuki Snowder by the end of the season? Definitely. Absolutely, 100%. We've got Christian Pedersen, who after resisting for so long, you're now on Twitter. I even saw you do a tweet... 
<laughs> I tried. <laughs> Uh, and I failed miserably, so it's not going to happen again. That oh, was my on. one and only tweet, just so you know. He's lying. There's going to be selfies, so you should, should follow him at iKrede. I tried to say the K in the Danish way. Krede. That was pretty good. That was yeah. pretty good. Okay, good. Uh, again, don't worry. We're not going to ask you to spell it. We make things easy at Mistake Apex. Just click that show note, but the, the show notes below. Uh, Kevin Magnussen, will he win his teammate battle? Yes. Oh, easily. He's at Haas. He's got, I mean, he's got Hulkenberg. I mean, Hulkenberg, right? Yeah. Don't you think he will? Don't you think Kevin is faster than uh, Hulkenberg? If you had yes. said this, oh, everyone's saying, yeah. If you'd have said this five years ago and you'd say, right, there's a, a lower midfield team with Kevin Magnussen and Nico Hulkenberg, I, I probably would have, would have bet on Hulkenberg. But uh, would no one have done that, Matt? Mm-hmm. Then back then, would you have? No? Nah, K Mag was always my guy. He he was super quick in that McLaren. People forget he podiumed yeah, in his first race ever. He he because he got kicked down to a midfield team quickly. I think he never got really the recognition uh, he maybe. deserved for his talent. Also, the Hulkenberg curse is if he ever gets near a podium, he just gets pulled into a, an armco. So as long as they're fighting for podiums, I think Magnussen will win. But a very confident uh, Kevin Peterson. Thank you very much, uh, Kevin Peterson. What am I talking about? Again. That's the England cricketer, Christian Pedersen. Thank you very much. Uh, go and follow him on Twitter. Matt, American-based question. Two things. Will the Andretti be- entry be approved? Yes or no? Uh, yes, it will. And will how will Haas fare, the American team, the extant American team this season? Place in the championship, please. Sixth? Um, I think I would go for seventh. I, I, I will, because Ambitious. they... If if they changed their development schedule, I'd be more on board. And they do have Hulkenberg, so maybe they score a few more points. But it's a it's a tough it's a tough hill to climb. Go and follow Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter, and follow me, Spanners. I'm the best one uh, at Spanners Ready on Twitter, and follow the show at Missed Apex F1. And I think if you just search Missed Apex or Spanners Ready on whatever platform you're on. We're there because Chris Stevens is doing wonders, trying to drag our social media into into 2023. Uh, But until I see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Be nice to the crew over the next couple of weeks. Don't worry, they've got adult supervision. Uncle Steve will be keeping an eye on things. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.